Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Bear Style Podcast on a Wednesday. It's our preview show. The Trojans will be taking on the Arizona Wildcats Saturday night in the LA Coliseum, 6.30 p.m. kickoff on the Pac-12 Network. So we're going to talk to our expert here on the 24-7 Sports Network about the Arizona Wildcats. I'm also going to take, I don't know, a half hour or so segment, however long it takes. You guys have sent in a lot of questions this past week. Anything. That wasn't answered by Coach Harvey Hyde's show or Dan Weber's show. We will do our best to answer them here. Or I guess you should say, I will do my best. It'll be solo. Um, after we talk to our guest, Jason Shear, I'll introduce him in a second. I will do a segment just by myself answering all of your questions. So it should be fun. You guys have some voicemails, a bunch of texts, a bunch of emails. You want to know what's going on with the team? I will do my best. We'll talk about the uh, athletic director position, the future of the program, where this team goes from here. After a 3-3 three and three start, really important game uh, this weekend, obviously, against Arizona. It's homecoming, so make sure you get out to the Coliseum. Check it out. Get one of those danger dogs as you're walking over to the Coliseum. Have some fun. All the festivities on campus. Hope you can go out there and enjoy it. Let's jump into our Behind Enemy Lines with Jason Shear. He does a great job. He's the publisher and senior editor at WildcatAuthority.com. Here on the 24-7 Sports Network, follow him at, on Twitter at Jason Shear, S-C-H-E-E-R. Thanks for coming on, Jason. Thanks for having me. Of course, uh, big game coming up this weekend. Uh, Arizona 4-2. and two. I don't know if a lot of people felt that the Wildcats would be in that position. Uh, the offense is clicking, I think, 510, almost 510 yards of total offense. Overall, how would you feel like this, this Wildcat offense is? It's, it's top 10 in the country right now as far as at least total offensive numbers. Yeah, I think it's kind of it's there's some good and some bad. I, I think the biggest thing is Arizona's schedule to start the season. It's one of the reasons why they're four and two. Uh, it hasn't been good. So a lot of that yardage came against like NAU and uh, Colorado, UCLA, not the best defensive teams. And uh, Arizona faced Washington this past weekend, which was clearly the best defensive team they face. And uh, the offense struggled quite a bit. Um, so it, there's good and bad. I do think it's a good offense. I do think that the run game is solid. There's some depth, uh, in the backfield. The offensive line has been pretty decent, uh, but it's kind of a, a situation where I think maybe the statistics don't necessarily back up how good the offense is. It's a good offense, but I don't know if it's necessarily an elite offense right now. Yeah. I think, uh, some recent home games now, uh, Arizona is going to be on the road. Khalil Tate, this will be his fourth time. Playing against USC, maybe not a ton of success uh, so far in the games against the Trojans, but is there some sort of quarterback controversy brewing there in uh, Tucson? Uh, I think there's a little bit, and I'm not sure the coaches would necessarily admit it, but I think the the situation they have now is Khalil Tate was really bad against Washington, not just average or, you know, I mean, he, he, 
there's people that strongly believe he cost them the game. There's one play where he threw the ball behind him because he didn't want to get hit. It was a fumble. Washington picked it up right in the end zone. Um, he just didn't play well. He hasn't played well all season except for against Colorado, whose defense, as we know, is just awful. And so there's a lot of people that want to see what true freshman Grant Gunnell could do. Uh, he threw for about 400 yards against UCLA and and played well in his first career start. And uh, I think people are kind of looking towards the future and, uh, it's an interesting situation because with Noel Mazzoni's offense, uh, Khalil Tate doesn't fit it at all. He, he's not the prototypical Noel Mazzoni quarterback, while Grant Cannell uh, is 6'6", 220, just a big dude that can really throw the ball. Um, so I think that there's some questions uh, about who should start moving forward. Uh, maybe there's a, a rift within the team even. So I think at, at least in Tucson, uh, there is a quarterback controversy, so to speak, but I'm not sure it's reached that point with Kevin Sumlin yet. I, I think that uh, we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see for this weekend. You mentioned the offensive line. There was some movement in the offseason, uh, a few guys leaving. Not I mean, Maybe not a ton of depth there, but you feel like it, this group has been playing pretty well so far? Yeah, they've been a little inconsistent with the run blocking. I think overall they, they struggled against Washington, but to Washington's credit, they threw things at Arizona that Arizona hadn't seen before. But uh, the offensive line, I mean, Arizona's second in the conference in rushing. Uh, the offensive line has generally played pretty well. Um, Donovan Lay at, at left tackle is really good. He's a player that they like quite a bit. Cody Creason might be the second best lineman, and that's something to keep an eye on because he got rolled up against Washington, and we haven't heard his status yet. We won't know about about him until game time, but if he doesn't play, uh, it, it's a legit issue because I think he's a, a really good lineman. Um, but other than that, I, I mean, they, they have some depth. They probably have seven guys that they can rotate in and out, and it, it's not, you know, an outstanding unit, but it, it's solid, and uh, it's probably towards the upper half of the conference. You mentioned the uh, rushing attack, second in the conference right now, but led the conference the last three seasons. J.J. Taylor is a stud, but it seems like a pretty deep group of tailbacks for the Wildcats. Yeah, that's, you know, J.J. Taylor missed a couple games, but uh, that's probably the one position where they could afford a loss. Gary Brightwell's a, more of a power back. Um, he, he's a stud. There's some people that believe that uh, he's the best running back on the roster. He really, once he puts his foot in the ground, can can really get upfield, and he's one of the faster guys on the team. Um, he actually didn't play last game. Uh, they have Bam Smith, who, who's another guy, uh, more of a pass-catching running back, but a guy that they like. Uh, quite a bit. Uh, they have uh, Nathan Tilford, who USC fans probably remember, who's uh, kind of come into his own as of late, scored a touchdown last game. Michael Wiley, a true freshman, who's another pass catcher. So they have quite a bit of depth at running back, and they'll use them all. Uh, you'll see all those guys, as long as they're healthy on Saturday against USC, uh, in some way, shape, or form. A lot of times they go to two back sets and, and put one of them out and use them as a wide receiver. So they use those guys quite a bit. Speaking of wide receivers, good segue, Jason. Um, who was we didn't know who was going to kind of emerge as the the wide out playmakers for the squad? Who's looked good to you so far at that in that position? Uh, you know, there's no dominant wide receiver uh, at all. It's kind of a deal where they spread the ball out quite a bit. There's not that one guy where USC will line up and say, "Okay, we need to shut him down." Um, they're very spread out. They have Jamari Joyner, who was a quarterback last year, who moved to wide receiver. He's made some mistakes, but he's done very well at the position. Uh, Brian Castile is a guy that's done well. Tavian Cunningham is a Juco guy. They don't have a lot of size at the wide re receiver spot, but they have quite a bit of speed. Um, and they've really developed some good blockers because they use a lot of those Noel Mazzoni quick screens and things like that. So 
Um, it, you know, they kind of it, there's not that one dominant guy that you go out and go, man, he's he's really good. But they do a nice job of spreading the ball out, and they'll use six or seven wide receivers effectively. Interesting. Let's switch over to the uh, defensive side of the ball. Marcel Yates been around. I think it's his fourth season there. The beginning of the season didn't look great. Um, and it feel, felt to me, though, like the defense took a, turned a t- corner against Texas Tech. I think you were even tweeting early in the season, like, wow, this might be even a worse defense than last year. They played really good. They were aggressive against Texas Tech. It seemed to get better. Some things sort of fell apart a little bit. I don't know if it's all on the defense against Washington in the last game, but is this a defense that kind of started off poorly and has got a lot better as the year's gone on, or, or am I wrong on that? Yeah, I mean, the, the Hawaii game was as bad, as bad as Arizona's defense could have played. Hawaii was doing whatever uh, they wanted, and, and NAU was the second game. They played great in the first half, kind of saw what they had with youth in the second half and, and wound up letting up 41 points to NAU, which was bad. But Texas Tech, that defense played really well. UCLA, the defense played well. And the Washington game, to me, is kind of interesting. I mean, Washington's starting field position in that game was the 44-yard line because of all the offensive mistakes. And when you do that, I mean, there's only so much you can do as a defense. Um, yeah, they didn't play well in the second half, but in the first half, they were great. Um, so the defense has definitely improved from the first game. I, I don't think the defense is good at this point. There's there's some talent on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, the pass rush is lacking a little bit, but it's clearly better than it was in the Hawaii game. And, and it, at the very least, there's you know for the first time in years, really, uh, we're seeing improvement on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it just seemed to be getting better. Uh, one of those studs back there, Colin Schooler, the linebacker. Uh, a lot of you know, if you're a Pac-12 football fan, you know his name. Who are some of the, how's he, I guess, how he's, how has he done so far? And who are the, some of the other standouts on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, Colin's done great. His numbers are, are a little bit down because Arizona's changed some formations that they use. So, um, and they might use it this weekend. They've done some stuff with three linebackers where they'll put in him, Tony Fields, and, and Anthony Pandy. Um, and they'll be aggressive with those three guys. And so Colin's numbers are down. But um, I would say that he's just as good as he's ever been. Uh, really, those three linebackers are the key to the defense. If they don't play well, uh, it's hard to see Arizona winning. Tony Fields is a guy where he's He's been probably playing the the best football of his career Um, on the defensive line. It struggled quite a bit with pass rush, not uh, or it is one of the worst pass rushing teams in the country. But Trevon Mason is a a Juco lineman who's really played well. The last few games had like eight tackles last game and a sack. So he's coming on and uh, the corners are are solid. Jace Whitaker and uh, Lorenzo Burns have done pretty well. Um, Arizona's pass defense isn't great, but I don't think it's on the corners. I think it's more on on the safeties and the lack of pass rush because those guys, uh, considering they're put on an island quite a bit, I think they've done pretty well. Uh, BYU sort of created a blueprint of what to do against this USC version of the air raid, whatever you like to call it. They were rushing three, dropping eight. Seemed to work pretty well. We've seen Notre Dame do that the previous week. Washington did it. Is that in Arizona's repertoire? Is that something they would do uh, in a game like this? Yeah, that's what I, I expect them to do that, where they rush three. I think what they'll do is they'll uh, they'll put Whitaker in the slot, which they've done before, and then they play Christian Roland Wallace uh, at corner. Uh, the true freshmen, so they'll have Roland Wallace and Lorenzo Burns at corner, Whitaker in the slot, and then they'll play a guy like Tristan Cooper in the, the other nickel position. And so what they'll do is they'll, they'll put some extra defensive backs on the field and that's something where I, I think that they can do. There's enough talent at the position, and generally speaking, that's kind of how Marcel Yates has played against those air raid type of teams. On the uh, for special teams, talk about that a little bit. Some long field goals have been made. How would you assess overall how Arizona special teams units have been? 
there's some really good and some really bad. I, I think Lucas Habersick, the the kicker, is is legit. Uh, he know he he's he's missed some field goals this season, but his leg is as good as anybody in the country. Uh, he had a 50 yarder against Hawaii uh, where they moved back after like three penalties, and he nailed it. Uh, his leg is awesome. Kickoffs, he's going to get a touchback pretty much every time. Uh, the punting is is bad. Uh, it's just a flat out bad situation. There's no kind of uh, silver lining on it. The, the punting just isn't good enough uh, against Washington. For instance, the starting field position, Washington had an 18 yard edge on starting field position. And while their turnovers didn't help, uh, the punting is just isn't good. I mean, you'll see a 35 punt consistently, uh, a 35 yard punt, maybe 40, anything more than that. It's usually, you know, Arizona fans are ecstatic. So if it comes down to the punting game, uh, I think Arizona is probably in trouble in that regard just because the punting hasn't been there, but they do have a lot of confidence in Lucas Haversick as the kicker. How about the return game? Any, uh, any standouts there? Um, it's not bad. I mean, JJ Taylor will probably return kickoffs and, and they're good. You know, they're, they're solid. I don't think that they're spectacular and they're the type of team that's going to break one off. They haven't done that in, in a while. It feels like, but uh, they're not bad. They'll, they'll get a nice chunk of yardage usually and, and start in decent field position because of it. A lot of guys will uh, will kick away uh, from J.J. Taylor, and so they'll, they'll use certain situations to make sure he doesn't touch the ball. Um, but the return team isn't bad, probably about average. Kevin Sumlin, 9-9 nine and nine so far. It's his second uh, season at, at the helm. How would you assess, or maybe how does the, uh, the fan base assess the job Kevin Sumlin's done so far? It's probably mixed. I, I think that the, the reality is the people that are, are more kind of ground in reality realize that Rich Rodriguez didn't leave him with much talent at all. And the one issue I think they've had is that with Khalil Tate on offense, it's kind of fitting a, a square peg in a round hole. Uh, he's just he's not the Noel Mazzoni quarterback. And, and so maybe that's slowed down the offensive progression a little bit. Um, his recruiting hasn't been outstanding. But then again, I mean, Arizona's class wasn't great last year, and, and here they are starting a bunch of freshmen that that have bright futures, such as Christian Roland Wallace at corner. Um, that's looked really good, and they have a freshman defensive lineman, Kyan Bars, who's who's done really well. So I, I think basically, you know, the, the way that Arizona lost the ASU game last year with blowing like the three touchdown lead uh, put something really far behind entering the season. People are happy uh, about four and two. Uh, I think that's a, a nice record to have, but. Uh, the schedule gets really, really difficult, and so it could turn fast. So I think people right now are okay with Kevin Sumlin, but if you ask me again in a few weeks after a couple losses, um, you know, Arizona fans aren't aren't the most patient bunch, and uh, I think Sumlin's kind of learned that, and, and he'll continue to learn it. And then uh, how do you think this one's going to go in L.A.? Any kind of thoughts on what you think that, you know, how Arizona's going to play in this one? I, I think Arizona's going to score some points. Uh, the, the difficulty I have is seeing Arizona stopping USC. Uh, I just think that USC has too many weapons. And, and while Arizona's uh, defense is improving, it, it's not there yet. I think Washington kind of gave a blueprint on, on how to confuse Khalil Tate and, and, and Arizona's offense. And, and so when it comes down to it, I just think USC gets more stops than Arizona and probably wins this game uh, by about 10 to 14 points. All right, Jason Shear does a great job covering the Arizona Wildcats for wildcatauthority.com. Make sure you check out his stuff. Uh, thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back with me answering all of your USC football questions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. Going to go through all of your questions. Let's start off with a voicemail from our friend, Joan. Hey, guys. This question, this is Joan Levis. Um your friend, and I have a question for Ryan, Dan, and Keeley for your next show. Um, I just read in the Pac-12 hotline that Thamel of Yahoo Sports said many of the most prominent athletic directors that have declined interest in the USC job already have pointed to the Pac-12's struggling television network and lagging revenue distribution as reasons why the job scares them. One, is this true, and how concerning is it for USC if this is the case? Um, I think that uh, to uh, they can do two things. One, impress upon the candidate that USC needs to be the leader in the Pac-12 to facilitate much-needed change and, quick, and quickly, and two, offer him or her enough money that he or she cannot refuse. We have the resources. I think we should use them. Now is the time. Money always talks, especially if you are offering one of the top five positions in college football. As everyone else, I'm very disappointed in this season, and and like Jason in Longhorn Country, um, just can't stay too invested right now until there's a much-needed change at the top. Thanks so much, and fight on. Thanks, Joan, for the uh, question. And, yeah, I read uh, Pete Thamel's Story, I thought it was very interesting um, as far as what he had to say. Make sure you check it out. Uh, There was, uh, I think there's a couple of things you could look at here. One, if you're going to hire someone that's already in the Pac-12, and that's where a lot of the candidates are from, like a Patrick Chun from uh, Washington State, who was also at Ohio State before, and there's ties to Urban Meyer, then, you know, they already are dealing with that. And you're going to go from a Washington State where budget's a real concern to where USC, where if you're winning, it's it's less of a concern, even though it's a concern right now. So I think that's part of it. But if, you, or if you're going to look at um, someone from outside, I, I think that's something you have to look at where of the Power Five conferences, it's the one that's struggling the most. It's got the worst leadership that's paying the most for it and Larry Scott. Um, so I think that's something you have to show. And right now, and we haven't seen leadership from that position at USC because you've hired placeholders figureheads, people that don't really know what's going on, don't know what they're doing, uh, like a Lynn Swan or a Pat Hayden, they're not going to be leaders in the Pac-12. They're just going to go along with whatever's right. So if you bring in someone from the outside, you know that there's more potential for leadership with the Pac-12 because of that. Um, and I think if you want to listen to John Canzano, uh, The Bald-Faced Truth is his podcast. He does a great job covering uh, the Pac-12 up in Oregon. He had a good interview with Patrick Chun. I put a link to this on the Peristyle where you can listen to him for about a half an hour, the athletic director at Washington State. You want to listen to him and then go, wow, that's an athletic director that knows what's going on, who's making changes, who's firing people that need to be fired, uh, allowing people that are doing a good job, giving them the resources they need to succeed. He just seems like he knows what's going on. There's budgetary concerns. He's addressing all those. Um 
he's doing a great job at Washington State. Definitely an up-and-comer in the industry. And those are the kind of people you'd want to hire at a USC. And that's not what USC has done. And one of the more interesting things he said uh, in that interview had to do with apathy. And that's the biggest enemy of your athletic department. So talking about Washington State, he's like, you know, you can win, you can lose, but they have a great fan base of Washington State football fans that want to win. And, you know, they might be vocal or whatever, but that's good because they care. And the worst enemy is apathy. And USC fans certainly care, but we're seeing them become somewhat apathetic. I mean, they're just not, they don't like the way the leadership has run this ship for so long. They're checking out. And I, to me, that's the biggest enemy for USC, uh, that if the fans are tuning out and becoming apathetic. So uh, it's a great interview. Make sure you listen to that. Uh, but I, I agree with you, Joan. You need a leader. Throw some money at the problem. If you hire good people, like if you got a Patrick Chun to come in there, he would fix a lot of the problems in the athletic department. The athletic department has problems, but they're not saying it's because they hired terrible people in the past. That's why they have problems. They shouldn't have as many problems as they do. So, Joan, great stuff. Uh, thanks for that. All right, let's see. We got a question next up. Okay, so oh, Dave and Glendora left a voicemail. Sorry, Dave. It was way too long. I could, I can't play it. I can't play like four minute voice, three minute voicemails, whatever. So he, but he was the gist of it. He was tired of the excuses. Like it's a young team. Uh, he doesn't like being, but he also doesn't like the players being called out by name. Says it's not right. So he likes the criticism. I think of the coaches. Doesn't really like the criticism of the players. And I think for us, we try not to be. Uh, super critical of the players, David, because you know they're out there doing this for free, um, you know, for the price of tuition, and and that's basically it. The coaches are making a lot of money. I think it's easier and uh, more fitting to um, be critical of the decisions that they have made. Now, you know, sometimes players screw up. You, you talk about it; it's fine. I mean, he missed a throw or blah blah blah, whatever. Um, but yeah, so sorry that David, the, the voicemail was just way too long. It was good. But uh, you got to edit yourself down a little bit. So thanks for that. We got a text question. This is Big Rick in Alder Point, wherever that is. He says, at some point in an individual battle, the other guy says, I don't want to go anymore. I've had enough. The same thing with a team. At some point, that team says, no, wait a minute. Uh, that's too much for us to handle. That's called tapping out. We will never see this here. That's a culture. That's a mindset. That's the way you're trained from January. You determine that by how hard you go. We determine when the team taps out. I have yet to be in a game where luck was involved. Well-prepared players make plays. I have yet to be in a game where the, most, where the most prepared team didn't win. Those are two quotes he sent in, uh, both from Urban Meyer, apparently. So uh, I think he likes what Urban has to say. He says, that's the recipe for winning football at USC. Urban and Clay sound like polar opposites. Could the right choice be so clear that USC finds a way to mess this up? Big Rick, yeah, USC's made a lot of bad choices before. The right choice was clear when they could have brought in a real athletic director. They brought in Lynn Swan, um, uh, Greg Byrne, who ended up going to Alabama. We were told multiple times that he was interested in the USC job, and USC did not uh, go out after him. So, you know, that's where you that's where you stand with that. We got Ray in Florida, uh, Wednesday press conference, to hear Clay – Talk to reporters. Uh, you think you've had rainbows shooting out of his ass. Uh, you would never know from his answers the very same week. 
that they are in a world of hurt. And I think I know why, because he doesn't know he's in denial. Love you guys all uh, Ray in Florida. I, okay. I don't know Ray. If, I don't think Clay Helton's in denial. I think he knows that he's on the hot seat. I mean, everybody knows he's on the hot seat and you're going to put some sort of spin on everything that goes on. If it's a loss that's close. You're just a couple plays away or the team is young. You know, if it's a mistake by the freshman quarterback or we got to take care of the football, whatever it is. But I think you have to look, he's going to look for what is positive out there. And a lot of the times it's, Hey, what's still on the table. And he was doing that last year until you lost too many games where there wasn't a positive on the table right now. USC still controls its own destiny in the Pac-12 South. Now, is he going to say, yeah, we wanted to be out of the college football playoff uh, picture by week three? Like, no, you didn't want to say anything like that. But, you know, those are, that's the reality. Right now, they could still win the Pac-12. They could still go to the Rose Bowl, which is something. Um, USC fans felt really good about winning the Rose Bowl uh, over Penn State the 2016 season. Didn't feel as good about winning the Pac-12 and losing in the Cotton Bowl to Ohio State uh, in 2017. So that's just something – I think that's just the way he is. I don't think Clay Hilton's in denial. I think it's more about – I mean, some of it might be like some self-preservation, but a lot of it is, hey, you got to put a spin on this, a positive spin on this, and here's what's still ahead. Because you can look at – you write things down and go, yeah, 2017, won the Pac-12. That's a great year. USC fans don't look at it that way because they got smoked by Notre Dame. They lost on the road to Washington State. They really did weren't even competitive against Ohio State. Like that's what you care about, and uh, you know USC didn't do that. But you can look at it as that's the Pac-12 championship winning season for USC. So he's going to look at what is good and what's attainable, and it's still attainable to be the Pac-12 champion. Now the way they've been playing. Yeah, if they play the way you played against Notre Dame, I think you'll do a lot better. If you play the way you played against BYU, you won't. And BYU is a terrible team. BYU has two wins over Tennessee and uh, and USC, which is crazy. Let's go to Mick in Virginia. He said, a tale of two halves. It's been too easy for me to criticize the team's performance over the last few years. They're unacceptable to the high standards the USC family demands. While I won't stop criticizing as long as Clay Helton is the head coach, I do want to congratulate the players for their effort and determination against Notre Dame. They fought off a terrible offensive first half, a few horrendous calls by the referees, and adverse road conditions to hold their heads high after a tough loss. Now, if someone would take the time to teach these fine young men how to tackle, we might actually go places. So on Monday, I'll review the tape, make a few attitude adjustments, knowing all my goals are still there for me, and prepare for Arizona. I can't wait to watch the next six games. Mick, Virginia, very well done, Mick. That was your coach speak. Uh, where you, you did it well. You nailed it. Just like what we talked about before. Uh, I didn't I didn't mention review the tape, but that's one that always uh, always seems to come up. You got to review that tape. Otherwise, I mean, what, what's the point of playing the game if you can't just review the tape? All right. Next up is Gary. He emailed in. After last season, we hoped Clay Helton would make a complete overhaul of the assistant coaches a la Kelly at Notre Dame, but he didn't. However, he did add a few new coaches, Jinx, Chad K, Burns, etc., and changed assignments of others like Drevno and Colbert. Now six games into the season, please rate all of the new or moved assistant coaches in your opinions. Thanks and fight on, Gary. Yeah, Gary, uh, they do talk about making those Notre Dame-type changes. Obviously, that did not 
happen. Uh, you kept some of the main pieces in place. The biggest one being Graham Harrell. And I think, you know, under the circumstances, it's not the offense I thought we would see. It's not really scoring a ton more points like I thought they would be. Um, but, you know, we'll, it's, we'll see. You know, having JT Daniels go down that first game, I think set it back a little bit. I think I've seen some good things. I've seen some, you know, interesting things, I guess you could say. Really curious to see where they go in the uh, back half of the schedule where the uh, teams won't be as tough. Um, but I think, you know, I think the Graham Harrell was important. You needed to, to bring someone like that in. As far as losing Cliff Kingsbury, getting Graham Harrell, I think, is a nice uh, substitute for that. So, uh, you know, I grade that well, uh, you know, even though some of the results have been mixed so far. I think like a Mike Jenks, um, you know, I like the way the running backs are, are going. Um, you know, obviously Marquis Stepp has been an absolute stud back there, and that's not really a Jenks kind of guy, but they're making it work in the system, and he's making the best of his opportunities. I think Chad Kay brings a lot more experience and fire to that position. You know, you like BKU, but he just wasn't a very experienced um, defensive line coach. I don't know how it didn't seem like he got along real well with Clancy Pendergast, so Chad Kay seems to be a good fit in there. And Greg Burns, you needed an upgrade in the secondary. I think you're doing that. Just look at what this group is doing, where they're banged up, especially, you know, this week they're going to be pretty banged up. It's a, it's a challenge for this secondary, as young as they are, to play as well as they are. I mean, they did a good job against Jacob Eason. They did a, a good job against Ian Book. Neither of those guys had high, uh, you know, uh, quarterback ratings. So even though they've been banged up, even though they're young, not a lot of experience, I like what they're doing. So Greg Burns, you got to give him – Credit. Yeah, Tim Drebno, I think the offensive line has been okay. I don't think it's great. They've been all right. And then uh, Kerry Colbert, I mean, the wide receivers are studs. Um, they're only playing like those three guys, basically, uh, with a little Drake London. They're just not doing much else. Um, but, yeah, he seems to be fine. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much you want to put on the coaches for that, but, there's, you know, you can't really say Kerry Colbert's doing a bad job. I mean, the wide receivers are the best group on the team, so – Good stuff there. All right. Well, thanks, Gary, for that question. Jim in Oregon wrote in. I like this. Uh, LSU, number two. How nice it must be to have a coach that can coach. Jim in Oregon. Yeah, Jim in Oregon. You're talking about Ed Orgeron. Um, no one can convince me otherwise that USC just blew that royally when they should have kept Ed Orgeron. I mean, that just shows you how bad Pat Hayden was as an athletic director you had two opportunities to hire interim, your interim head coach. The one you should have, you didn't. And the one you shouldn't have, you did. So that's just, it's what Dan Weber likes to say. If you did the exact opposite of whatever Pat Hayden did, you would be, the athletic department would be much better off uh, than they were. So that's about as bad as it gets. If, if whatever you're, you're the big decision maker. And if you just reversed every decision you made, you'd be better off. Um, that's bad. So that's why USC needs a real good athletic director. Let's switch over to a voicemail. I'll play it for you. Hey, Ryan and Perry style team. This is Matt from Philadelphia. I was a graduate of USC in 2008. He's a student athletic trainer under Pete Carroll and the football team in 2006, 2007, worked on Reggie and Matt friends with Thomas Williams and it's a great culture. And, and that's kind of one of the reasons I was calling, you know, you guys do a great job of covering the team, and, and I always look forward to listening to the podcast. But one of the things that we used to see as trainers was just this culture of a football team and this idea that they were always ready to 
play the next game. They were excited about what was coming. They, you never had any doubt that they were going to go out and, and win every time that they were on the field. And I wonder if you can comment on what you see behind the scenes as far as the culture of the football team, if it's entitlement, if it's if you get a whole bunch of four- and five-stars coming in and they already think that because they were so highly recruited that they've already kind of made it and haven't really bought into the USC culture, if that's something that comes from the head coach. Pete Carroll used to breed that at USC, and I just wonder if that's not being bred so much anymore and that players just come in and expect to be an individual, and, and that's kind of where they go because I don't see that being the same when Urban Meyer was at Ohio State or with Nick Saban or Debo. So I wonder if you can comment on that a bit. Thanks a lot. Matt and Philly, great voicemail. Thanks for calling in. Uh, yeah, culture is so important to me. That does come from the head coach. It has to come from there. He's the one that sets the culture. I mean, we the, some of the guys you mentioned, they had four- and five-star players too. So it's not just, well, if you bring in four- and five-star players, they're going to think about individual goals. They might, but you they're going to adapt to whatever the current uh, culture is. And I don't even know if you have to look at it from – behind the scenes like yeah you could see well what is the strength and conditioning program doing because that's where you get the most time with the players uh like i said i liked uh what aaron osmus is i mean the change he made i think is positive i think their culture got better just having a guy like aaron osmus in there but he's not going to set the tone like the head coach will and i think that's where a lot of the problems coming from i think the one of the thing is you mentioned not having a doubt about winning and there's certainly a lot of doubts about winning with this team and it's it's just one of those things what look at Arizona State like they I think they're five and one in games decided by three points or less there's something about whatever Herm Edwards is doing and I was as critical of him as anybody and he's done a great job since he's come in there they're always in close games and they win a lot of them Um, I think of their 14 games against power five opponents, 12 of them have been decided by a touchdown or less. And they're seven and five in those games. They're in every game and they're good at being able to pull out the close ones at the end. You're not going to hear a lot of from Herm Edwards about, well, we were one play away. It's like, you know, that gets you there, but you have to do that little extra. And it might be something a little extra in the second quarter. Who knows? Like you have to do that little extra in an evenly matched game where you are going to do what you need to do that little bit more to get over the top and get over the hump and win the game. And we've seen USC just not do that time and time again. And I think that comes from the culture of the team. And if you're not going to change the way you do things in practice, I don't know if you can change the culture. I mean, there's, it could be one of those things where that last goal line stand you think back to a Tuesday practice from a month ago where, man, you were really tired. At the end of practice, they did a whole bunch of goal line, and you could barely stand, but you guys stood tall and made the stand on the defensive line. And those are things you can kind of recall and go back to as a player. And that's kind of creating the culture. I mean, when you think about things like that, that's super hard practice. It might be an off-season workout that you look back to like, man, that was like the hardest thing I ever did. Um and that's, that builds you up as a player and a person and, and as a team. And, yeah, so I think all of that, Matt, uh, to answer your question, it starts from the top. And uh, Clay Helton learned from guys like Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. You just don't see – not that that doesn't mean he couldn't have created this amazing culture. I just don't see it. I'm not seeing this amazing culture around. So, But thank you for the voicemail. Uh, Don wrote in. 
Someone at 24-7 felt that USC could average 10 more points per game than last year. Uh, what do you think is preventing that? And then do you think Graham Harrell underestimated the level of competition he would be facing this year? Thanks, Don. Yeah, the someone at 247 Sports was me. I said they were going to score 10, point, 10 more points a year. Does that get thrown out the window when JT Daniels gets hurt in the first game? Uh, you know, whatever. I still thought they would score more points. Um, you know, if Slovis got to start all the games and didn't get hurt, maybe it changes a little bit. But, you know, Matt Fink came in, and that's the biggest win on the schedule, beating Utah. So you can't really... You know, he he did some really great things in that game. What's preventing it? I mean, I think I think the quarterback getting hurt is preventing some of it. I think that's part of it. But they should still be more. I feel the identity isn't all there. It's uh, maybe they run more than what they've wanted to. And then sometimes it seems like they're not running enough, kind of the fronts that they're facing. And I think they've allowed the defenses that they're facing to kind of dictate more than they really wanted to because they talked a lot about we're going to do what we do. We don't care what the opposition does. Then it, now it's become to the point where, well, they're dropping eight guys in the coverage. How are we going to throw the football? Um, I feel like you have to, they've kind of abandoned some of what their identity is, what they really want to do, what the strengths of the team are. And that's not a great sign. So I think, uh, I don't think it's he underestimated the level of competition, but it's one of those things where we go back to the culture how much can the offensive coordinator change? He could change a bunch, but there's still there's still things there that are like the the DNA of the team that you can't change everything. So I think part of it is that too, Don. Thanks for the thanks for the email question there. We got one from Robin uh, R O B Y N. I have been a USC fan for about 50 years. Wow, that's a long time. And uh, the game against the Irish to me was the perfect example of the disrespect USC receives week after week. Even when there was a penalty called on both teams going into halftime, they call us UCLA. During the onside kick, it was blatantly obvious that Coach Kelly was on the field, and yet no one, not one of the refs, sees it or throws a flag. I'm just so frustrated that even if we work really hard to win, we're up against such bias. Uh, Robin. Yeah, Robin, there were some bad calls in this game. USC had a couple other penalties that were declined. Um so, you know, it wasn't like super clean game for USC, but only two called, I mean, two penalties that were accepted. Like I said, a couple other more that were declined, but that's not why USC lost the game. Like you can't, you just can't look at it this way. There are so many other things. If you rely on things that aren't in your control and that's what you worry about, you're never going to get better. Um, so whatever you're doing in your daily life, if you're worried, there, there's things that you can change personally. If you're, whatever you're doing, if you're, you're playing pickup basketball and uh, you're at the gym and you happen to get on a team at that most of the guys stink. There's a real short guy. He has no jump shot and you're playing your heart out and the team loses. Um, you know, it's, you can't control. It was a pickup game. You can't control who you're playing with out there. So if you're only worried about, if all you ever think about is, Oh, those guys I got on my team stink. Uh, you're not going to do what you're not going to fix what you can control because maybe you played your heart out, but you missed some plays too. And there was, Oh, you know what? I really kept throwing it to that guy and I shouldn't have, or, you know, this other dude, he doesn't seem like a great player, but he's got a pretty good medium range shot. So if I drive a little bit and let it go to him, we could probably score more points that way. Those are things you could control and you can say, all right, whatever your environment is, I'm going to control that about me because you're probably, you know, USC didn't play a perfect game. USC played far from a perfect game and they've got so many problems that are control that in your control. 
I think that's where you got to focus, Robin, not, oh, got screwed by the refs. Um, yeah, the refs weren't great. That Certainly that uh, the late hit was not a late hit, but um, I don't think you can really think about If you think about, oh, we're getting screwed, uh, there's just so many other things that you could fix where you wouldn't have to worry about getting screwed. If you played a, a much better game, those calls become meaningless because you uh, you don't score three points in the first half. When you've dominate, you dominated the game for 20 minutes and scored three points, that's not the way to go. Uh, let's see. Uh, should this USC team be embarrassed uh, for their game against Arizona being shown on the failing Pac-12 networks? It seems uh, that they showcase crappy teams that are not shown on ABC, Fox, or ESPN. Well, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I, I don't didn't write down who uh, sent this question in. Sorry about that. But Utah and Arizona State are two ranked teams, and they're going to be on the Pac-12 network this weekend just the way the TV schedule worked out. So, um, yeah, that's not – it's not – you know, USC doesn't play on the Pac-12 networks much because it's a desirable game. But, you know, they're not as desirable now because they're 3-3. Three and three. And so, you know, the selections go and – uh, they end up being on the Pac-12 network. But like I said, Pac-12 network picked. They could have allowed ESPN to show the Arizona State-Utah uh, game, but they wanted to get it for their network. And that's the dilemma where would you rather see, if you're the Pac-12, would you rather more people see one of your showcase games? Because there's two games this weekend between ranked teams in the Pac-12, Oregon and Washington and Arizona State uh, and Utah. So would you rather more people see it? Like 70 million people could have a chance to see Arizona State and Utah? Or would you rather have it on your Pac-12 network where there's 14 million people or whatever, less people can see it, but you get a better game for your network? I think the best thing for the, the, the conference would be to show it on ESPN. Um, so that, some of that is like just the way the selections go. This wasn't a Fox weekend. It was only ESPN and Pac-12. And there are six games. There's no one has a buy of the Pac-12. So... That's kind of how that went down. And I'm sorry I didn't write down the name of who sent that one in. All right, one last question, although there's six parts to it. Uh, Breden from Colorado. He says, I have some suggestions, theories for the Pac-12 referees. All right, this should be good. Maybe they're so bad because the refs are used to refing water polo and line judging tennis. Even then, they still suck. Yeah, maybe they did that. Number two, there should be a corner setup that you can – uh, just fight the refs if you're a coach and hold them accountable. Interesting. So you'd want a ref-coach fight. I think there's a lot of coaches that would jump in on that. Can you imagine like a Kyle Whittingham like fighting a referee? It would be it's just destruction. Number three, at least in baseball, you can go out and yell and kick dirt at the umpires. Yeah, you can't really do that in football. Number four, schools should be able to fine Larry Scott $10 million for every terrible call until he actually makes changes. Um that seems like a hefty fine, uh, Brendan, but sure, I'm, I'm okay with that. Five, lastly, the Pac-12 refs should have uh, have to ref a completely different conference with no Pac-12 teams so other commissioners can tell Larry Scott how much ass these refs suck. Yeah, other other conferences do see that because they'll get them in uh, out-of-conference games, they'll get them in bowl games, and it always becomes a thing. So he said lastly, but then he puts a number six after his number five, so apparently not lastly, but now number six, the defense looked uh, how the offense was supposed to look this year in the first half. I'm surprised that the defense even plays with an offense that can't do anything uh, continuously like in the first half. I spaced it out because I know Ryan has a hard time reading long emails on the podcast of Champions. Fight on. Brendan from Colorado. 
yeah, dude, sometimes people just send in paragraphs and paragraphs, and then they put all kinds of uh, 25 cent words in there from their thesaurus on their computer, and it just gets insane. But thanks, uh, thanks, Brennan, uh, for the questions, and thanks, everybody, for sending in the questions. It's homecoming, like I said. Hope you guys have fun with it. It should be uh, an interesting game. Is there a quarterback controversy? You know, Khalil Tate is a stud, but doesn't sound like Lowell Mazzoni, Noel Mazzoni uh, wants to uh, to go with him. He wants to go with Grant Gunnell. So I, I don't know. Uh, you got to watch, though. 6.30 p.m. Pac-12 Network on Saturday. All right, that's going to wrap it up. My voice is, uh, as you could tell, not doing so well. But thanks to Jason Shear and thanks to all of you for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.